Radio Mano Papachango. This is Todd. I just wanted to say hi. I'm currently sleeping under the stars in Southern California, hiking the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada. I started about two weeks ago at the U.S.-Mexico border, and I'm about 320 miles in. I've listened to your podcasts on this hike, and I've listened to them all over the world, and they've always been very inspirational to me and a great companion, and I wanted to express my gratitude to you. Keep up the good work. Hey, Chris and fellow tangentialistas, thanks for your brilliance. George here on another sunny day in L.A. I love this podcasting community. Y'all help me muster the gumption to have real conversations, both personally and professionally. Things like monogamy is a choice and agriculture can save the world. On that note, if you haven't seen The Biggest Little Farm, check it out. It's on Amazon and maybe the most inspiring story I've ever seen. Peace and love. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for those uh, beautiful intros and the beautiful sentiments expressed therein. Yeah, sometimes I piss and moan about uh, the evils of agriculture, and um, I should probably make more of a point of explaining that I'm talking about large-scale agriculture, industrial agriculture, and the sort of hierarchical societies that grew up around the advent of agriculture. So I'm talking in historical terms. I'm certainly not saying that having a garden or a small permaculture farm or something like that is contributing in any way to the evils of the world. Uh, Quite the contrary. I think having a relationship with your food is deeply healthy. Um, not only for the other participants, the animals and the land and the insects and the you know the bees that are pollinating everything, but also uh, for us. And not only in a physiological sense, of course, eating a tomato that you grew and picked an hour ago is going to have way better nutritional uh, contribution to your body than something that was grown in Costa Rica and shipped in a, you know, chemical-filled gas chamber so that it wouldn't ripen in the ship and, you know, just all that nonsense. Um, But also just psychically. I think we ignore the psychic component of food. Uh, Psychic may not be the right word. What I mean is Wordsworth had this beautiful line in a poem I don't remember what poem it is, but the line is, we murder to dissect. And what I believe he meant by that is that the sort of scientific post-enlightenment perspective on the world is that it can be reduced to its component parts. So, you know, energy is measured in calories, for example, which is how much heat is released when you burn something mushrooms generally don't burn so mushrooms have no calories so according to this mind view mushrooms have no energy content 
but you take a few grams of a certain kind of mushrooms and you will realize that they've got a lot of fucking energy, just not the kind of energy that's measured by our instrumentation or, or our mindset. Um, you know, you, you could look at certain insects or animals as we do all the time and say, well, you know, they don't perceive this or that. Oh, that's the door creaking. Sorry about that noise. Um, their senses don't overlap with ours in some way. And so then we assume that they have no perception, but they have perception that we're unaware of. So um, just as the mushroom has energy that we're not measuring because our our view doesn't contain those concepts, um, colors exist for which we have no words, right? Uh, and I've talked about this many times on the podcast, the fact that you don't have a word for a certain color means you're less likely to perceive it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. I was watching a documentary the other night, really interesting documentary, by the way, uh, called The Art of Life. It's on YouTube. It's about a mathematician, uh, apparently extremely talented mathematician, who um, <laughs> he says at one point that he got a position. He was offered a scholarship to MIT, but he went there and it was so cold and he didn't dig Boston. He's like, okay, fuck this. I want to go to Berkeley. And coincidentally, a position had just opened up, I guess, in the doctoral program. Maybe it was a postdoc. I don't know. But uh, a position had just opened up because the guy who later turned out to be the Unabomber had just quit. And so he took the Unabomber spot at Berkeley and did some uh, cutting edge theoretical uh, physics or mathematics. I'm not sure. But in any case, at some point, he fell in love and moved to Hawaii and hacked out a little patch of land in the jungle and has spent the rest of his life swimming with dolphins and uh, building his own house and gardening and tending his land. And he just gave up math because the only person who really supported him and understood what he was doing died. And um, so his work was, I guess, incomprehensible to other people. In any case, it's a really interesting short documentary. It's about half an hour. I, I encourage you to check it out. Um. He tells this incredible story about swimming into, he, he goes swimming every day and he swam into a swarm of uh, Portuguese man-o-war and uh, which essentially kill you by overwhelming you with pain. And uh, he talked about that experience and then later he talks about an experience of um, sort of being adopted into a pod of dolphins. Just incredible. Really interesting. Anyway, why am I talking about that? I had no intention of talking about that. Um, but at one point he's talking about quantum mechanics and, and how, you know, sort of very advanced mathematical and, and quantum mechanical interpretations of existence are that the outside world is created by our perceptive framework. So... You know, it's sort of the, does a tree falling in the woods that no one hears make a sound thing? It's applied to reality itself. And he's saying like, you know, external reality only exists in the process of our perception of it. Um, 
And I think about this sometimes because it's a it's one of those mind games that people like to introduce, right? Is it all just a matrix? Is it all a simulation? Are, are we just living in some hyper-advanced video game from the future or something? And, and I agree with that on some levels. Oh, Spanish people are so loud. They're, they're just yelling out there. Um, the, uh, it exists... In the sense that, in senses, literally in in senses. So I agree that the color yellow doesn't exist in any objective sense until a creature with the capacity to perceive color um, sees it and identifies it as yellow. So bees clearly see yellow, which is why certain flowers are yellow and um, attract the bees to pollinate and all that. So, yes, colors, sounds, those sorts of things exist within the dance of perception. But I don't think that all reality only exists as perception. And I think this is a mistake that people make. And and when I say that, I'm fully aware that, you know, this guy and most of the people who are having these debates are probably way smarter than I am. So there may just be something that I'm missing. But I do think there's a fundamental difference between talking about perception of color or quality of something and the perception of a solid object's existence, right? When I drive by a tree on the road and I see that the leaves are green and the bark has a reddish tint and I consider it to be beautiful and so on, those are all functions of my perception of it. But if I veer off the road and slam into the trunk, that has nothing to do with my perception. That's not some kind of... uh, you know, response to a a state of being that's inspired by my perception of the tree. That's two physical objects colliding. And that, I think, is demonstrably not created by my perception of it. It exists in the space. And if I fucking run into it, I die. So um, that, I think there's a, a fundamental difference between those things. And they tend to get thrown together somehow like it's all a fucking illusion no it's not all an illusion parts of it are what we might call an illusion but i I don't even think it's an illusion i would say it's uh, dependent upon our perception but that doesn't mean it's an illusion it's like the difference between sound and music right you you identify it becomes music because of the perception but sound is just fucking sound waves it exists physically Speaking of things that exist physically, I put out a call in the last episode like two days ago for somebody uh, who might have the technical expertise, the wherewithal and the time and the interest to put together a map that tangentially listening, uh, speaking (laughs) listeners, (laughs) I get lost in there somewhere, uh, could use to locate one another. And lo and behold... A person named Riku, who is a dude, uh, did it and sent it to me. At least Riku's profile photo uh, appears to show a dude. So, um, 
So uh, there's a link. I'll post the link in the show notes for this episode. But if you uh, happen to be sitting by a pen and a paper and you want to write this down, it's uh, Fossil Map. Fossil is easy in Spanish. So maybe it's a Spanish site. I don't know. But F-A-C-I-L map dot org forward slash T speaking dot edit. That's where you go to enter yourself in there. And um, I'll also post the instructions. It's pretty straightforward. You just sort of go to the upper right hand corner, click on add, click marker, click your location, click edit data in the info box in the upper left corner. And that's where you can write your name, description, contact info and that sort of stuff. Um, But again, I will post that in the uh, episode description for this episode on Substack. All right. What else is going on? I wanted to say a few words about something everybody loves to talk about, everyone's favorite subject, which is abortion. Because it's kind of a big deal right now in the United States. And it's a it's a weird thing because as long as I've been conscious of such matters, abortion has been um, a big controversy in the United States. Um, and there's some interesting history around that. Uh, abortion has been wielded by the Republican Party as a way to motivate um, the sort of religious uh, conservatives and to pull them into the Republican Party where that it, it feels like that's always been the way it is, but it really wasn't until a guy named Barry Goldwater sort of um, created this extreme right wing um, fraction or facet of the party. And then in the Reagan years uh, in the early 80s and, and when Reagan was getting ready to run for president, his strategists, Uh, as well as Nixon, actually, in the early 70s, they saw a way to pull those people into the Republican Party. And they had been, until then, pretty much disconnected from politics. That whole sort of Christian conservative thing didn't really start till the late 70s, early 80s. Um, And now it's taken over the party. And so it's always been this issue that was like... uh, used to motivate voter turnout on the right. But my thinking on it was that they're never going to outlaw abortion because then that takes away the issue and it becomes a way for the left to motivate their voters, right? So you you have to get out to like take back the right that you've now lost as opposed to motivating people to get out and, and vote against uh, access to abortion. So I'm surprised that this is happening. Uh, appears to be happening anyway. If you're not familiar with the situation, there was a draft decision of the Supreme Court, which was leaked. It hasn't been published officially yet, so the actual decision hasn't come down. I suppose it's possible that things will change, um, but it's like uh, you know, a, an early copy of a book. It mm, pretty much tells you what that book's going to be about. They might change the wording a little, but that's pretty much what the book is. So that's the situation, and it looks like the Supreme Court is going to say that the federal government has no power to guarantee the right to access to abortion federally 
which means then it'll be left up to the states, which means about half the states will immediately outlaw abortion and and a dozen or so already have effectively. So that's going to affect a lot of people. Now, at this time of my life, it doesn't seem to be a huge issue, but when I was younger, it was a huge issue. Um, I was involved in the pregnancy of several women. Um, in some cases, I was involved biologically. In other cases, I was involved because the women were friends of mine and they asked me to help them Um and I did. I, I remember one case in particular. It was a a girl that I was very close to. We had a relationship for a while. And then um, I was in college at the time, undergrad. And we split up but remained good friends. And uh, she called me in tears a couple of months after we had split up and um, told me that she was pregnant and she had got pregnant with a guy that she'd only seen once and they weren't in a relationship and she didn't want to tell him. And it was uh, a big mess and she couldn't tell her parents uh, and she wanted to get an abortion, but she didn't have any money. And um, so I called my parents. I didn't have any money either. And I think abortions at that time cost around $500. Um, and I called my parents and I said, uh, listen, I need $500 and I need you to not ask me what it's for. And there was this pause on the phone and one of them, I think it was my dad, said, checks in the mail. And that was it. They never asked what it was for. Um but they knew they probably thought it was someone I was seeing. Uh, um, they would have been surprised, I guess, but maybe not surprised. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I feel like it's very easy to talk about these things in the abstract. Um, and it's harder to talk about them in a personal way. Um, but, my personal feeling and my experience with abortion is that, first of all, it's a very difficult thing for a woman to go through, both physically and psychologically. There's nothing easy. There's nothing casual about it. So people who are saying, oh, you know, women just want abortion so they can have all the unprotected sex they want or use abortion as birth control or something. That That's not real. That's not how it works. You don't want to go to a doctor's office and have people sticking instruments into your body and deal with really strong, uh, difficult hormonal changes, bleeding, uh, you know, extreme pain. You don't want to deal with all that. That's not a casual thing. Nobody wants to do that. Um, so that abortion is birth control is just bullshit. Fuck that. Um, and it's a very difficult thing because a woman's body is registering the pregnancy and then it registers the loss of the pregnancy. So I don't know the details, but, 
Um, I know that there are significant hormonal changes um, that often result in extreme psychological distress. And then there's the culturally defined aspect of it, right? Where a lot of people are standing around the abortion clinic with signs and horrible photographs and screaming that you're a baby killer and, you know, just all this fucking freak out around the issue, um, which can only make it worse. And I think any discussion of abortion has to be had in the context of an acknowledgement that the United States is probably the worst industrialized so-called advanced country in the world in terms of the support it offers to women, to children, to single mothers. I mean, it's horrible. And if you haven't lived in Europe or in Japan or Australia or New Zealand or Canada, you don't know what is missing. But what's missing is a general cultural and governmental support for women who find themselves in motherhood, whether expected or not. I mean, in, in Europe, you have a baby, you're given, I don't know if it's three, six, nine months more, depending on the country, paid maternity leave. In many countries in Europe, you're assigned someone who will come and take care of your baby so you can sleep. Someone who will come and you know, cook for you and clean up the house because you're overwhelmed with caring for this new baby. That's just part of normalcy in these countries. In the United States, you have a baby, you're on your own. It's like everything else. You're on your own at your most vulnerable. When you're most overwhelmed, when you're freaking out, you don't know if you can handle it. Boy, if you don't have your family around to take care of you, you're fucked. And we need to acknowledge that, that if we really are against abortion, the best way to minimize abortion is to support mothers. It's not to further isolate them by making the decision harder and more fucking devastating for them. Now, as far as the ethical issue goes, I feel like we need to make a distinction between something between life and something that is truly alive. And so the argument that life begins at conception does not make sense to me. I don't see any scientific reason to believe that human life begins at conception. Now, you can say philosophically anything you want. As I've written about in Sex at Dawn and Civilized to Death, most hunter-gatherer groups think that life begins when a baby can speak. So you can define the beginning of life in many different ways. It would be equally valid to say that life begins when a baby breathes for the first time. Or life begins when a baby can name something. Um, or life begins when a kid can walk. I mean, you pick it. There are many different ways to define it, and it's very much an individual choice, and it it's, comes down to poetry in a way. But there's no scientifically valid argument that I've ever heard to say that life begins 
at conception, life begins at the first detectable heartbeat, life begins when the baby could potentially live outside of the womb, because, oh yeah, it could live outside of the womb, but not without the care of the mother, not without breastfeeding, not without all this assistance. I mean, human babies are notoriously um, born way, way too early compared to other mammals. And that's because the the head of the baby is too big to pass through the vaginal canal. And so at the very last minute, that's when it passes through the vaginal canal, but the baby's still not ready to live in the outside world. So, you know, a baby can survive outside of the womb doesn't mean the baby can survive in the world. Like, you know, maybe a, I don't know, a, a baby, a little fish can or something, you know? Um, so anyway, that whole argument doesn't hold any water for me. I think, you know, if we say, well, but the fetus is alive, well, okay, so are sperm cells. So if you jerk off, did you just kill, you know, 400,000 little potential Chris's? I, I mean, what? That's ridiculous, right? That makes no sense. Bacteria are alive. So clearly this isn't about the sanctity of life. So, okay, it's about the sanctity of human life. Okay, well, if human life is so sacred, then why are you stepping over the homeless guy in the street to get into your gym? Why are we not taking care of these kids that my sister takes care of who age out of the foster care system at 18 and the government's like, okay, good luck to you, see ya. Why is our prison system not designed around increasing dignity and uh, self-respect among prisoners rather than punitive fuck you we're going to make it worse and then you'll get out and you won't have any way to make a living so you'll just be right back in here i mean obviously american society is not designed around the sanctity of human life if it were we'd have trade unions we'd have universal health care we'd have universal pre-k we'd have you know support from others like i was saying before so that's nonsense that's a bullshit argument and to me, the difference between something that's truly alive and just life is consciousness, awareness, self-awareness, homo sapiens sapiens, the ape that, or the hominid that knows that it knows, right? So there's that meta layer of, I'm not only alive, I know I'm alive. That's amazing. So you have philosophers like Peter Singer who have argued that a chimpanzee, a healthy chimpanzee, is actually more self-aware by far than a human being who's brain dead after an auto accident or a massive stroke or maybe, you know, born with the umbilical cord around its neck, I forget what that's called, but it's not uncommon and the brain doesn't get enough blood and so the baby is essentially born brain dead. And so Peter Singer's argument um, was if we're going to be testing pharmaceuticals, if we need to test pharmaceuticals on animals that act as a stand-in for humans so that we can see the effect on humans, it makes much more sense to test them on 
<clears throat> brain dead patients who have had a, a stroke, a massive stroke, they're not coming back. They can be kept breathing, their heart's pumping, their cellular functions are happening with technology, but they're not coming back. Once the brain is dead, it's dead and that's it. So what you've got there is a human body, but without consciousness, without awareness. So why not test these drugs on an actual human rather than a chimpanzee who's suffering and who's aware? Now, of course, he got, there's a lot of controversy around that argument, but it makes sense. To me, it makes perfect sense. And I would say a fetus is no more alive than an old person with severe dementia who has no idea who they are, who their friends are, what their name is, and what's going on in the world around them. That isn't a living person in the sense of homo sapiens sapiens. That person doesn't know what they know. It doesn't know what they don't know. Well, none of us know what we don't know, I guess. Um, but anyway, I've been involved in these situations. As I said, in some cases, I was biologically involved. And I am incredibly grateful that abortion was an option. My life would be very different. Now, someone could say, yeah, but you don't know. Maybe your life would be better. Maybe... You know, that pregnancy would have turned into this amazing kid and you'd be very happy about that. And that's possible. I don't deny the reality of that. But at the moment, the girl or woman and I both felt that this was not the right time, not the right place. We weren't in a condition to bring a child into the world and we had the option not to, and I am very, very grateful for that. And I feel horrible for the people who are facing a situation where that option isn't available to them. And I think it's, um, it's barbaric. And I respect the arguments of people who are against abortion. Um, I respect, I think there are extremely valid arguments um, that someone would say, I would never get an abortion or I would never get another abortion. I know women who've had abortions who'll say, I'll never do that again. I can't do that again. So they're super, super careful about birth control or, um, you know, they're just doing everything they can to make sure they never get into that situation. But birth control fails. Um, and sometimes it fails through carelessness Sometimes it fails through uh, technological failure, um, but it does fail. And so not everyone who's in that situation is there through carelessness. Um, sometimes, you know, 99% effective, there's 1% failure rate in these things. So anyway, uh yeah, I just thought I'd talk about that a little bit and just sort of fess up to the fact that um, part of the reason that my life is the way it is right now is that abortion was an option. And I think it should be an option for everyone. You know, having having said that, I respect the anti-abortion argument, some of them. I think that it only applies to you, right? If you say, I will never get an abortion, I respect that. But if you expand that and say, therefore, no one else should ever get an abortion. I don't respect that. 
that's like saying, you know, I would never <clears throat> take my own life. Fine. Um, but that doesn't mean someone else who's suffering from chronic pain from a terminal disease shouldn't have the right to take their own lives. Um, so I respect the argument when it's applied to oneself, not when it's applied to other people. I think that's a whole different level of argument. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, this episode is a bonus Roma, and normally these are just for paid subscribers. But this one, uh, up until now, up until this point in the Roma, the first 35 minutes or so, is for everyone. I'm going to play a song right now by uh, someone who wrote in and um, sent in the music. And it's fucking awesome. And then after the song, this will be the end for non-paying um, subscribers and everybody else. Uh, if you want to hear the rest of this, where I answer some questions from listeners and talk about some other stuff, uh, then you have to become a paying subscriber. So sorry to do this, uh, but you know, gotta pay the bills and gotta give some Substack some bang for their buck. So if you want to hear the rest of this and other bonus Romas in the future, please, uh, 50 bucks a year or five bucks a month. It's a minimal investment and hopefully it's uh, returned in spades. Now, I feel like I may have played something by this band in the past or maybe even the song. I don't know. But if I can't remember, then it's long enough that uh, we can play it again. Uh, the band, they are called, what are they called? Dirty Losers, and they're from Prague. And this guy, the painter's painter, has been writing to me. I don't know what his name is. It doesn't say it on the email here. Um, but anyway, they've been recording in Prague, and they've got this uh, album out. It's at the Dirty, not not the, DirtyLosers.com. Okay, www World Wide Web. Does anyone say that anymore? www. Remember in the early days, everyone would say, "Oh, my website is www.chrisryan.com." It's weird. Now it's just chrisryan.com uh, or christopherryan.com. I don't know what my own fucking website is. Anyway, this one is dirtylosers.com, and the song is. What the hell is the song? V Nebi, V Nebi, uh, and the band in Czech is Spinavi Lusery, I think. Jeez, I don't know. Anyway, I just threw the the name of the song V Nebi into uh, Google Translate, and it says it means in heaven. So I think the name of the song is in heaven, and the name of the band is Dirty Losers. I could be totally wrong about that in heaven part, but blame it on Google. Uh, I will be back with those of you who are paid subscribers just after this funky ass tune. And uh, thank you.
svet tvojí tmou. Zkouším se promítnout na tvé plátno bělavé. Uvěříš ráno v nebe. Nebavíš hrou, zkouším se protáhnout. Skrz tvé tahy šachové, uvěříš tady v nebe. Uvěříš v nebe, mimo ty nebe, to vím zvláštní. Bye. Bye. 